Welcome to the well. How are you guys tonight? You guys are doing all right. Uh, for those of you that don't know me, my name is Ben Post, and I'm on staff with Campus Ministry, and I love Sunday nights in this place with you guys. So you guys are awesome. Uh, I have good news for you. Anybody want to hear some good news? Tonight, we all get to go to Israel for free. All right? So that's good news, right? We're going to kind of dive into some stuff for a while tonight. It's like a free trip for like an hour or something like that to, to the motherland, if you will. So uh, it's going to be a good time. I'm pretty excited to dive into it a little bit tonight. Um, but first, there's a, a number of years ago, I had just graduated from college. I had a second uh, shift job working at a youth home uh, just south of Lansing. And me and my friend Courtney and my friend Adelia were going to go visit our friend Mike, who was uh, in Missouri for the summer. And so we, they picked me up at like 11 o'clock, and we started driving down to Missouri through the night. It was a Saturday night. My friend Mike was actually going to be teaching uh, for the first time at a church in Missouri, and he had no idea that we were coming, so we were going to go surprise him. So that'd be pretty fun. So I took the first shift driving. I'd just gotten off work, so I put in a few hours, and then I was like, all right, I'm going to tap out, and I'm going to lay down in the back seat and let you guys take over. So I zonk out for a couple hours. And I wake up and I ask, hey, how are we doing? They're like, yeah, we're, we're good. And there's that moment of like, I don't really believe you, you know? Uh, and they said, well, well, the gas light's on. I said, okay. But the problem is we have no idea how long the gas light has been on. And I'm like, well, that's a little bit problematic, but hopefully we'll be okay. And in that moment, the car sputters. Uh, and we are in northern Illinois in the middle of nowhere about 4 o'clock in the morning. And the next exit is 5 miles away. And this is a good time, right? So we're like, what do we do? Well, let's get up, let's get out. The only option we have is to start walking. So me and my friend Courtney and my friend Adelia, who is about like this big, uh, start walking. She was in college. Um, and within like 30 seconds, we walked like 500 feet and a truck stops, pulls over, offers us a ride, and we're like, stranger, I know, but we're the one in need, sure, why not? So he drove us to the next gas station, bought a gas can, came around, filled it up for us. It was awesome. And he said to us later that he, he actually stopped and pulled over because he thought it was a family with a young child, and he felt really bad for the young child. <laughs> Thank you, Adelia, for being short. Um... But this story is like a classic, what we call a Good Samaritan story, right? Where there's a, somebody that's stranded along the side of the highway, a stranger comes along and offers gas or fixes a flat or something like that. Uh, this is a well-known story uh, in the Bible. It's a parable that Jesus tells of the Good Samaritan. We're going to dive into the Good Samaritan tonight. It's a parable, and a parable basically means it's a comparison. It's a story that Jesus tells. It's not necessarily a true story although it could actually happen. Um, Jesus cared deeply about the kingdom of God, and he also cared deeply about the people on earth, and he wanted to work hard to bridge that gap of uh, God's kingdom and life here on earth. And so he told this parable or this story to kind of shed light on to kind of the kind of living that God thinks is uh, life to the full for, for us. So, uh, so let's just go ahead and dive right in. Can we do that? Uh, first of all, in our world, we, there are some debates that go on in our culture. 
There's debates that happen in the world of politics. There's debates that happen in the world of sports and like officiating and bad calls and things of that nature. Uh, there, there are those debates that happen in our culture. In the ancient world, in the first century, th- there was really one big debate that was going on. And the big debate that was going on was what is the most important commandment in this book? That's what they were trying to figure out, okay? So uh, that's a very different debate, and now let's just pick it up here. Luke chapter 10. Uh, if you don't have a Bible and would like one, go ahead and raise your hand like this, and we have some lovely people that are going to come and, and help you, hook you up with a Bible. So go ahead and keep your hand raised nice and high. Luke chapter 10. We're going to start at verse 25. If you still want one, go ahead and raise your hand. Otherwise, if you have this thing called a technological device that also contains the Bible, we like those things as well. Uh, Verse 25. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law? Jesus replied, how do you read it? And the man answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this, and you will live. Okay, now I'm going to stop there for a second. This was the great debate. In this book, there were actually 613 commandments in the Old Testament. And so the religious people of the day were kind of debating, okay, so what is the most important of all of them? We want to know what's the most valuable, because you can't really do all of them. So if we need to, like, figure out what is the most important, that's what we want to figure out. But actually, there was really no debate, although I say that's a great debate, there was really no debate about what was the greatest commandment. Everybody agreed that the greatest commandment, the most important commandment, was the one that this guy replied with. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. Everybody agreed on that. The goal, if you were a child, the goal was to have that be your first words. And then you would say those words every day, morning and evening, for the rest of your life. And then the goal was also to have those be your final words kind of on your deathbed. This was, they, they, they centered their lives around this. The, the great debate really was, what was the second most important commandment? Because everybody agreed on this one. So there were actually these two great rabbis who lived about 100 years before Jesus. Their names were Hillel and Shammai, or Shammai. Uh, and they strongly disagreed on the rest of the order of the commandments. Okay, so one said the most important is love God with all. And then he said there's no idolatry, no adultery, no unclean thing, and then love your neighbor. The other guy said love God with all your heart, love your neighbor, Keep the Sabbath, no adultery, no idolatry. So these great rabbis had these different views, and then they had these followers who also, so it's sort of like different denominations, okay? So this denomination thinks this, and this denomination thinks this, and this was kind of the, the, the world of Jesus in the first century. Everybody's trying to figure out what camp do you fit in, okay? So Jesus was asked this question, or asked his position on this question a number of times in the in the in the Gospels. So, for example, Matthew 22. Go to the next slide. Matthew 22. Teacher, 
which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it, Jesus says. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. Maybe it's like, yeah, we know that Jesus says this. But actually, his reply is maybe a little bit more amazing than you initially think. Jesus uses a rabbinic teaching method called Gezerah Shavah. Say Gezerah Shavah. If you don't remember that, it's going to be okay. It's not going to be on a quiz later. Uh, Gezerah Shavah is basically it's an, an analogy or a conclusion based on identical or similar Hebrew words. So basically what the rabbis would do is they would know the Bible so well that they would know where these uncommon Hebrew words were in the Bible. And they would say, okay, this uncommon word happens here and this uncommon word happens here. And they must have some sort of relationship with each other. They must like help shed light on each other. There's a Hebrew word, ve'ahavta. Say ve'ahavta. Ve'ahavta is a Hebrew word that happens two times in the entire Bible. It means, and you shall love. And it is found in Deuteronomy chapter 6. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. And then the second ve'ahavta is, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And so these guys are asking Jesus, of all the commandments, what's most important? He's like, uh, the ve'ahavta here, the ve'ahavta here, and actually they are like each other. The second one is like it. They are, you can't love God without loving your neighbor, and you can't love your neighbor without loving God. You, you have to do both of them together at the same time. They're like each other. Isn't that awesome? I mean, how, how well do you have to know the Bible to be like, oh yeah, this, happen, this word happens here and here, and that's, the, I'm going to just bring those together real quick, because I know the, it's just amazing. I love that Jesus is so smart. It's so cool. Um, so anyway, uh, this guy comes in, in our parable here. This guy comes to Jesus, and he's excited to show that he agrees with Jesus. Yeah, I agree with you. You kind of fall in this camp. I agree with you. I also think it's love God and then love your neighbor is second. There's no debate. We're on the same team. We're on the same page, that kind of thing. But the guy, the guy keeps probing just a little bit. Uh, verse 29, he says this, but he wanted to justify himself. So he asked Jesus, who is my neighbor? And then Jesus brilliantly answers with this, what is now a pretty well-known parable. And now, to help us dive into the rest of the parable, I need eight brave volunteers to come on up. Come on up. Just come on up. Eight people. I need eight people to come on up. Come on up. Eight people. We got one. We got two. We got three. We got four. We got five. We got six. We got seven. We got... Look at the men representing up here. Look at that. Well done. Okay. Uh, two, four, six, eight. Great. Awesome. Okay, so uh, we have here, here we go. Uh, we're going we're gonna to enact the story, and they have no idea what they're doing right now. So uh, we have here, um, let's do this. We'll give you this one here. We'll give you this one here. I'll give you this one here, okay? So you guys come stand over here, okay? Um, 
And I think we're good. We're just going to roll with it. Are you guys ready? Yes. Um, okay, here. You're going to come over here first. You. You're going to switch spots with Aaron. Aaron, you're going to come over here. And you guys are really good friends. Just trust me. Okay. So we are in Jerusalem over here. And this is Jericho down over here. We'll have you guys just kind of like sit right here for a second. We'll have you go like right up on the stage. There you go. Okay. And wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said, a man was going down. It's you. Right here. <laughs> From Jerusalem to Jericho. Start walking slowly. There you go. <laughs> When he fell into the hands of robbers, they don't really do this. They stripped him of his clothes, <laughs> beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road. And when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So to a Levite. When he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came to where the man was. And when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him <laughs> and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey. <laughs> took him to an inn. Took him to an inn. <laughs> Up on the steps over here. The inn's over this way, donkey. <laughs> and took care of him. The next day he took out two silver coins and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. This is the word of the Lord. All right, I'm going to have you guys come back to your, like, original positions, basically. We're going to talk through this for a second. Okay? Uh, well, actually, we're going to pretend that you just got beat up. Okay? You just got beat up. You're just going to hang out here. The robbers are hiding because they're ashamed of themselves. Okay, so when reading and studying the Bible, it's good to ask questions. Okay, so the first question I want to ask is, who? Who are the main characters in the story? And I'm going to help you. Right? Okay, so we have a priest, we have a Levite, and we have a Samaritan. These are the questions we want to be asking. A priest. Who was a priest? What was his job like? What was his life like? He had responsibilities in the temple, which was in Jerusalem. He had, this high expect, he had these high expectations of purity and holiness that were, that were on him. Um, and, and it's possible that he could have been on his way to his house in Jericho. Okay, so Jerusalem and Jericho wasn't really that far away. So the priest comes on by. He has this, uh, I have to be pure. That's kind of his job. Okay, a Levite, similar expectations of purity and holiness. 
uh, a little bit of a lesser role in the temple, but he was in charge of the music. So that's kind of a big deal. And then he too passes by on the other side. And then we come to a Samaritan. We'll come back to the Samaritan in just uh, a minute. Okay, the second question I want to ask is where? Where did the story take place? We said it's on a road from Jerusalem to Jericho. Uh, we do know where this road is, and this road is actually a footpath. It's about two, and, two or three feet wide. Two or three feet wide. And if you're going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, on your left is this huge cliff about 500 feet that goes straight up. And on your right is a 100-foot deep canyon. And you have, you know, actually i got a couple pictures here. Okay, so this is kind of the, the landscape. you got the 500-foot cliff. Go to the next picture. Okay, so this is, you can kind of see the, the drop right there. We're walking on that path here a couple years ago. Uh, one more picture. Okay, so this is the path. This is the road. This is the ancient road from Jerusalem to Jericho. A man going down, he gets beat up, and then a priest comes by. The text says this, verse 31. A priest happened to be going down the same road. Hey, I want you guys to come over here. Okay? I want you to pretend that the path is... Here, we're going to do this. There you go. Two to three feet wide. Yep. All right, here we go. A priest happened to be going down the same road. You have to stay on the step. And when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So to a Levite, went down the road and passed by on the other side. There's no way they didn't see the guy and they had to have stepped over him. That or they're scaling the 500-foot cliff in order to pass by on the other side. Don't mind us. We're just going to keep on going by. Let's give our volunteers a hand, shall we? Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Donkey. Thank you, thank you, and thank you. You guys are awesome. Okay. So the real question is, why did the priest and the Levite cross the road? <laughs> to get to the other side. Very good. Okay. Uh, for real, though, Leviticus chapter 21 and Numbers chapter 19, uh, there's a law that prohibits touching a dead body. And if you touch a dead body, you will become unclean for seven days. Now, the, the, the scripture says this guy is left half dead. So he's not dead. So it's possible that maybe they could have helped him, right? Uh, but in the first century, uh, the religious folks had this concept of re we really want to love God and we really want to follow his commandments. And we're actually going to do this thing that we, they kind of call building a fence around the Torah, okay? So if God says don't do this, then we're going to like create this extra barrier perimeter and we're not even going to go near it just to make sure that we honor God and follow him and we don't want to screw it up. So I kind of think of it like this picture. <laughs> Jaden, don't touch the tree. And just to help him out a little bit, I'm going to create this little, this is not my house, by the way. Um, 
But this is kind of the idea. For example, in Deuteronomy chapter 14, it's, the, the Bible says, don't cook a young goat in its mother's milk. Does anybody have any idea what that means? Because I do not. Okay? But what the, what the Jewish people have interpreted that is, okay, we don't really know what that means, but a goat, it's a meat product, milk, that's a dairy product, therefore we're going to make sure we avoid all meat and dairy products at the same time. And so if you go to a restaurant in Jerusalem today, you have either a meat restaurant or a dairy restaurant because they don't want to mix the two based on this passage. Why? Because they're building a fence around the Torah. Or if you go to a Jewish person's home in Jerusalem, they actually have two sets of dishes, one for the meat products, one for the dairy products, silverware and everything. It's, maybe, it, maybe it's crazy, but I think there is something kind of cool about this concept though too. Hey, we want to we honor God so much. We want to follow in his way so much that we're going to help. I feel like our culture asks kind of the opposite question. We want to know, how close can I get to the edge of the cliff before we fall off? I want you to guess how many times I've been asked this question regarding dating relationships. How far is too far? These are the questions we ask. Rather than like, hey, we know we're not supposed to do this. Let's just build this extra. What would that look like in your life? To have this extra perimeter of caution. Uh, Not because we're really trying to be uh, holier than thou, but because we really want to honor God in the ways that he thinks is the best way of living our lives to honor him. Anyway, I think these guys wanted to help. I think the priest and the Levite, I think they wanted to help. But I think they were sure that they were, man, I want to help this guy. But if I, if I touch a dead or dying or half-dead body, then I'll probably become unclean, and therefore I'm just going to, Go around him. Which commandment is most important? Is it a purity commandment? Or is it trying to figure out how to love your neighbor? This is the conversation that's going on in this, in this parable. But a Samaritan. Who the heck were the Samaritans? Samaria was a region just north of Jerusalem. You can go to the next slide. Uh, Jerusalem's kind of on the bottom there. You can see Samaria is the region up there. In 722 BC, Assyria was an empire up in the north. They came and they conquered the northern kingdom of Israel and they deported or they exiled most of the, uh, most of the Jewish people there into their own homeland. They also brought some of their own pagan Assyrian people into the land and then those people that they brought in actually hung out with the people that actually stayed, and then they intermarried, and they eventually had kids, and those kids were known as the Samaritans. So the Jewish people looked at them and said, hey, you, you intermarried with pagan people, therefore you are a pagan, and therefore you are unclean, and therefore we don't want to associate ourselves with you at all. So the Samaritans lived in the region of Samaria, And the Jewish people and the Samaritans actually really hated each other. There's a lot of hostility between the two. 
So much so that if you were in Jerusalem and you needed to go up to Galilee, it would make sense to take the green path, if you can see that, straight north through Samaria. Religious folks said it would be worth the extra detour. We're going to go from Jerusalem down to Jericho. We'll cross over the Jordan River. We'll go north on the other side of the Jordan River. We'll cross back over the Jordan River, and then we can get up to Galilee. We'll take the scenic route, which must have been really annoying when you're walking. But to them, it was like worth it because we want to avoid any contact with these people known as the Samaritans. Avoid Samaritans at all costs. Sam, not simply a nice guy, I don't think in this story, who helped a stranded guy. Sam, the Samaritan, crossed huge cultural, racial, social, religious barriers in helping the wounded man, who was probably his enemy, was probably another religious guy. And this is what I think is fascinating. Luke chapter 10, verse 33 um, says this. I want you to think about what did the Samaritan do that the priest and Levite did not do? A Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. And he went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, took him to an inn, and took care of him. What was it that the priest and the Levite were so paranoid of? What was that? Touching him. We can't, we can't touch this guy because then we'll become unclean. And what does the Samaritan do? Touch, 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 touch. I'm not scared. Why? Because I know what I'm supposed to do, and I know that loving my neighbor trumps any other commandment. Even if it's my worst enemy, I'm going to go above and beyond. Have compassion. Put oil on him. Put him on his own donkey. Bring him to an inn. Pay, pay the bill. Above and beyond kind of ve'ahafta from a guy like a Samaritan. I love this too. Verse 36. Which of these three men do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him, the guy can't even say the word Samaritan. This guy hates Samaritans so much, he can't even say the word. I guess it was the, the other guy, the good guy, I guess. I can't even say the word. But I just think that the animosity between these two people was so strong that it's so loving your neighbor is about loving anybody and everybody, including your worst enemy. About a month ago or so, uh, there was this we, uh, kind of a strange news article. Uh, I'm going to play a short video clip here for you. Uh, this happened in Michigan. It's kind, of a, it's kind of a cheesy news story, but I think the content is, is worth it. So it's about a two-minute clip. I want to play this for you guys a second and think about what does this mean for us today in our world to love our neighbor? What does it mean to go above and beyond to love our enemies? Ve'ahavta. Going above and beyond 
in everyday life situations. When people have said hurtful things about you or hurt you in another way, Ve'ahavta. How do we show love? The parable of the Good Samaritan is not just about helping strangers who run out of gas or get a flat on the side of the road. It's about going above and beyond to love our neighbors. And our neighbors are all people, including our worst enemies. Why? Because, because God loves you. And we love because he first loved us. We want to love God and we want to love our neighbor as ourself. And we can't love God without loving our enemies and we can't really love our enemies without first loving God. Hear these words from Jesus in Matthew chapter 5. You have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? And if you greet only your brothers, what are you doing more than others? So I have three questions for us as we conclude, and these are on the slide. Who, for you, is hard to love? Who is it for you that's difficult to love? And why is it that's so hard sometimes to love our neighbors or to love our, our enemies? And what are some things that we could do to go above and beyond to show some ve'ahavta in this place? To your neighbors, to your enemies this week. As I've been thinking about this over the last couple weeks, this is the way I've been thinking about it. The church, unfortunately, has a, uh, has a reputation and a, a history of not doing this very well. Right? There are a lot of people who have gone before us who have not done this very well. People... Christians have not really loved other people very well. And we carry this reputation of hatred towards other people groups. But what if? What if we were a community who really decided to live into this? What if we really did go out this week and go above and beyond to really spread love all over this place. Can you just imagine this with me for a second? We showed love to the parents when there's this tension, or a roommate when there's this tension, or show some love for that prof who, or the kid in the class who, or that boyfriend who cheated on you, or that girl who said those nasty things about you or whatever it is or whoever it is what if every single one of us said yeah this is who I want to be because I think this is where we can really find life to really love these people not so that I look good but because we think that this is the only way to live and we love because he 
first loved us in this way? What if there's a reputation of campus ministry on this campus? That started this shift. I love that idea. Can we just dream about that together for a little bit the next couple of weeks? Can we just try to work on that a little bit? God, may you be gracious enough to us. We pray that you will help us love you, love others. We're so thankful for your word and for your your teachings and the ways that you embody being good news. We're so grateful that this, this good news and that this love is really for all people. And so forgive us when we think it's only for ourselves. But we know that you and your love are, is for the whole world. So help us, God, this week to really love our neighbors as ourselves. To love on our enemies. To, to go above and beyond and, and do maybe what seems like a silly thing like buying coffee for people that are really rude. And things like this. For the sake of your name and your kingdom, amen.